Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Best Behavior. It is from the album Audio Drag for Ego Slobs by Gustav. And my guest today is Lydia Gamble, the front person for that band. And let me fucking tell you this. She's great. This band is great. I fucking love this album. I have it on vinyl. And here's the thing. I am moving. So I'm getting rid of records, and I told myself I wouldn't buy any more records. I bought this record. I bought it on vinyl, and you should too. You could go to the Bandcamp link that's in the show notes and buy it. You could buy it digitally if you don't want to put more waste in the world. I have conflict buying records because I'm very anti-oil industry, and there's a little oil, I believe, petroleum in records. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that. Regardless, I went against my ethics and bought this record. <laughs> And you should, too. Um, it is a fantastic record. I'm really honored to have Lydia on the show. Uh, I, and uh, the, and I talk about this a bit with her, but I just love the way she performs. I love this band. I love everything about them. Go to the show notes and follow their social media, their websites in the show notes. All things are in the show notes. And speaking of how much I love this conversation, I would say perhaps as much as one can over Zoom, in a podcast setting, Lydia and I hit it off a bit. We talked about some things that we had in common. And uh, we talked for over two hours. And the part two of that conversation lives on my Patreon. For five bucks a month, you can become a Patreon subscriber. Listen to that part two. Also, the part one, which this part thing you're hearing in the regular podcast world, well, on the part one on the Patreon is a little bit longer. It has a little extra content, as they say, in the social media bullshit internet world content. <laughs> anyway, both great conversations. I'm thrilled to have her on the show. Again, go to the show notes and uh, link all things Gustav. They're, they're, I just love this band, and I can't wait to see what they do in the future. That's how I'm excited about this band. I wish I had a time machine so I could go see what the fuck they have done in 10 years from now. Uh, real quick, I did plug my website and stuff. If you need a website, you can go to Kelly R. Dwyer. That's my partner. She makes websites. She does, like, big fucking podcasts and political people, and she does all kinds of stuff. So if you need a website, go to Kelly R. Dwyer. Also, I've been talking about the Climate Emergency Fund in my show every week. If you can donate to the Climate Emergency Fund... You know, climate, you know, the guy from Pantagonia, the the clothing line, winter clothing coats and stuff, he gave $3 billion to climate crisis. So I would say if a guy gives his entire company's income to a, something, maybe it's serious. <laughs> he's not really much of a capitalist, He's which he's one of the good ones, as they say. But uh, so that's in the show notes, please. I have some work I'm doing with them coming. I can't announce it yet. Very, very soon. Very soon. You'll know what I'm doing with the Climate Emergency Fund to raise money, and it's going to be effing badass. So please uh, do that. I think that covers all my stuff. I thought I had something else I was going to tell everybody, but uh, I can't. I can't think of it. I'm very tired. I had nightmares. I had nightmares last night, um, stress mares, over this thing I'm working on with the Climate Emergency Fund because it's a big project, and it's really cool. And uh, I was stressed out, but it's complete now, and we're cool, and it's going to be fucking awesome. So go and follow me on social media if you want to know what that is. And uh, also, I was going to say real quick, though, I have over 330 episodes, so if you like Lydia Gamble, you probably like some of the other people I've talked to over the years. Um, so check out my website, thematdwire.com, go to the episodes, you could scroll through and see, I have most of my episodes up there, not all 330, but you can go on your podcast app. Also, I do, sometimes I record in my garage, I have a little studio in my garage, and my neighbors 
fucking dryer or washing machine is buzzing. I hope it doesn't get picked up on this, but what can you do? This is city life. This is life in the big world. I you can't I don't I don't have the means to fucking have the best booth that I can possibly buy. Um anyway, that is my episode that is my intro for this episode. Gustav is a great band. Oh, you get but that's what I was I guess I wanted to say is there's some you can hear some sounds soundscapes of New York City while we talk, which I'm cool with. I like that. It adds environment to the conversation. Um, but that is it. Please enjoy this conversation with Lydia Gamble. I'm good. I'm very, very good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm really, really good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm very, very good. Did you do improv? I did do improv. It's on the internet now. Part of me is self-conscious about that coming out because, uh, people really don't like musicians who like think they're comedians. And I don't think I'm a comedian, but, uh, I think doing improv or trying improv was like a very important, uh, like just building skill and tool. And it just, it's like the, the one rule is that like pretty much everything is acceptable and like, it's all about like coming together with a group mind and also just being really comfortable embarrassing yourself in front of a lot of people. So like it, it teaches you how to have like absolutely no shame as a performer and no fear of failure. If anything, failure is like a gift that you can turn into something great or learn a great lesson from just having to sit in your failure. <laughs> yeah. No, I come from an improv background, so I know. Oh, all you do. Things. Did you, did you do it in New York city? <laughs> or are you in LA? Chicago. Chicago. Oh, wow. The Mecca. Wow. Yeah, the Mecca, I know. <laughs> the homeland. So you're the real deal. I was, uh, not, I was second. I was a second city guy and then I did the Herald and all that shit. Ed, did you do it in New York or did you I do did. it? I, I did. I did it at the pit. I took classes at the pit oh. and UCB. Um, I know all those motherfuckers. No. Yeah. They're great. And it's, uh, and it's just, I mean, it really says something about community. Like I was kind of doing that and music at the same time. And if I don't think I had the music world, I probably would have just muscled my way <laughs> getting better at improv or doing something. Cause, or maybe probably something more crossed with like slightly amusing performance art, just because, um, I like having a lot of ways to, uh, express creativity. And what's fun is that like, you know, improv and that type of like performance too, you can sort of bring a lot of things into the folds as a creator. Um, same thing with music, like anything that's too sort of singularly tracked, I think can kind of box me in, but, um, but I mean, but like, I think I just had, I was just spending more time in the music world and, you know, busier over there. So I was like, it, it was easier for me to find like sort of my natural community going to shows and, and, and meeting people. So, but there were some, some great people I met through the improv worlds that, you know, it's always like, you know, you've got a couple moments where you're like, okay, it wasn't terrible, but a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff too. <laughs> I was, yeah, I enjoy, like, it's weird. I'd look back at it and it's like, well, the whole time I was doing it. Now I look at it and I'm like, you should have just been a writer. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah. laughs> like I was funny, but I like there, then there would be people who were like creating these magical fucking scenes. And I was like, I, I can't do that. And nor do I care. <laughs> yeah. I think the caring is the important part about like what sort of steers you. Cause what's fun about the magic is sometimes it doesn't even have to like, sometimes you're using too much muscle and part of improv, the magic comes from just reacting honestly and sort of standing in the moment and patience. Like uh, I think still I'm trying to like work on having patience on stage and not feeling like immediately you have to like, start waving the keys and distracting people. You know, I think there is a power in like just being able to stand still and then sort of watch something organically grow, which is like a big testament to like long form improv is just being comfortable with nothing until there's something. And then you sort of, sort of watch it expand, you know? Um, yeah. I used to watch. But I, I'm very, yeah. You used to watch what? Sorry. Oh, I just, I used to watch this stand up in Chicago, Dwayne Kennedy, and he's, he's like a god in Chicago, and he's done a lot of stuff, but like he would use silence, which no comedian, like comedians totally fear, but he would take these long pauses, but like with intention, like he'd take a sip, and like, most comics would panic, but people would just like lean, you would watch them lean forward and be like, what's he going to do? And it was like, it was a wild exercise to watch. Like, 
Yeah, it's it, silence is very powerful, but like again, it, you have to be confident to be silent. And <laughs> the bands, we've like we have a couple songs where like that is an element of it, and it is fun if you really commit to the bit. Like we've really committed to it sometimes, where it's like you just try and make the room completely silent because and it also helps to like sort of reining people in if like the room's a little distracted like if you physically sort of get quieter and hold it there people in that silence kind of realize like okay something's something's going on that sort of draws them back in rather than you know giving them louder noises to mask their chit chat with but also yeah. if you want to chat at a show whatever gets you off you know <laughs> <laughs> it's i i when i learned that you did improv it because I love like I've watched a ton of videos of you live and and I love what you do like I don't and I want to say oh, when thank I heard, you I like and I, I don't want to be like ass kiss Johnny but like I have a lot of I've done this for a long time and there's certain people I get like oh I'm like cool and like I'm totally stoked that you wanted to do this <laughs> I can't no I can't it means so much like I can't I it's still I'm still accepting that that is something that someone could feel in this world so that's really exciting thank you to so be much. stoked I mean, about you yeah you know because you know we're all just trying our best out here and um you know <laughs> and and the truth is like anything that you create or at least for me it's hard to revere that as much as you revere the work of other people and for and for me you know it's just like constantly trying to get what I'm doing and what everyone is doing to sort of the level where it's like okay I can hold this on my altar with the other things that I enjoy but it's um unless you're like Kanye West like it's hard to like really be like what I'm doing is the supreme thing and that's it and I don't know so it's no it's great to hear that and to know that that hey you know it's something something is striking a a chord with people Yeah, yeah I can't I can't break it down like some jackass on pitchfork, but like, I just feel there's a nothing against, pitchfork, uh, but I, <laughs> but I just feel like there's a, I no, know, nothing against some, pitchfork. Yeah. I just feel like there's something very powerful and unique about what you're doing. And it, and I react to it. Like as soon as I saw you, I was like, Oh fuck. Like it was like, I was excited. Thank you. That's honestly, that's such a huge compliment. That's like really all we want to do is like just be able to sort of reach people, you know, reach people and make someone, I don't know. I'm always chasing, I'm such a catharsis junkie. Talk about life's natural highs. Like I just love, I love the highs of living and like, you know, um, and, and I, and what's, and going to shows too, I feel like I do some of my best thinking, like watching other bands perform. Like it just, I don't know, help sort of disconnect my brain in a way that I find like a lot of ideas come. And so the idea too, that like what we're doing can sort of help someone release what it is they want to release or express something or feel something is great. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, what, but when you said you did improv and I was like, I want to say this to her, but I know some people, if you mention improv, they're like, take it as an insult. <laughs> oh, but, I know. Well, yeah. But I feel like it made sense to me as a person, like when I, you're performing, I was like, Oh, it makes sense. Cause of the amount you were saying like about commitment and all those things. And like my group of people in Chicago that did improv, we looked up to David Yao and we were like, we want to perform like that fucking guy. <laughs> and I feel like there's that sort of inspiration I see with you where I'm like, fuck, that's like how you perform. That's how you do it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, always it's, it's, it's funny hearing it. Cause, uh, I'm still learning how to like revel and what works rather than just constantly kind of like trudging forward, trying to like go on a sort of self-improvement path. Cause like, you know, it's easy to become like the football players, like watching the review tapes being like, all right, what did I do there? Uh, <laughs> and I think also sometimes your best performing moments <laughs> when you're in an improv too, when you're not thinking about that and you're just kind of in this flow state. And what I love about long form improv too, that I do try and apply it at least like sort of like the live sets we do or just how um, we approach music is that it starts with just like one sort of simple thing and just expands and like dance music is a similar type of thing where it's like, you know, you get the floor and the floor and part of what is exciting about it is like watching how a very subtle thing can just sort of bloom into a very expansive world. 
and sounds and it's like kind of mantra like but also you know how many times do you want to say the word expansive? expansive. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I wasn't counting, nor did I really notice that you were overusing or underusing. <laughs> Thank you. Podcasts are fun, but I'm still learning how to do them. Like, it, it, you know, oh boy, when you're coming up and you're thinking about the stuff you're making, oh, you can't wait for a minute to get on your tiny little soapbox and just be like, yes, this is, this is what I love. This is what I think about, you know, in the shower, the fantasy montage, but it's been funny. <laughs> Actually, finally having like released music and read things that people say about the music and then having to talk about the music stuff and the band. It's just, uh, you know, you get there and you're like, ah, oh, this is what I've thought about. But, I, you know, watching yourself sort of stutter in one place and not quite, you know, or just I, yeah. oh, like I, that. See, exactly. I don't know. Me saying half words and then not finishing. <laughs> like, this wasn't in my podcast fantasy, but, you know, here I, we I, I'm the king of it and I'm uh I got brain issues sometimes, so I don't notice. <laughs> You're great. I've listened to a, a couple of your podcasts before this. And I think you you put a, put a really nice show on. Yeah. Hey, and thank you. Very, very, very wonderful interview. Was there a conscious choice of sort of the, per, would you call what you do a persona or an extension of yourself? Honey? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. It's because it's funny. It's like, I don't, um, the first sort of album, when I was thinking about the lyrics again, it was coming from kind of like an other perspective and like the stage in my mind is sort of like a liminal space. So it's not necessarily like Lydia Gamble going up there and saying like, that's the world. It's more like trying to perform kind of like a, I don't know if archetype is the right word, but just some sort of essence or kind of like, you know, the grudge that lives within all of us, like uh, you know, that kind of, unsavory sort of section of our brain that doesn't always have like the clearest grasp on reality, but is, you know, fighting their emotional response to the physical world. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And I think sometimes too, I, I think too, when the band started, I was a little fatigued with music that felt super duper personal to like someone's actual life. And I, and I think I wanted to be able, I wanted to cast a wide net in terms of like who would enjoy the music and who would want to listen to it, you know, like children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did want to try So I was kind of like trying to think about like the range of human emotion and the stuff that covers the most ground from whatever sort of, level of life you're coming at it from. And I think there are just moments when we all feel kind of like, yeah, like we're fighting our emotional response or our frustrations, despite the fact that like logic is more objective and the world is more objective than how we see it. But sometimes we're just kind of blinded by our own filter. And um, so it was interesting to me to kind of like explore that just kind of looking for a cathartic, like liminal space of like human experience and I also studied, you know, a little anthropology in college. So I like wax poetic, <laughs> on, um, you know, us as a species and, you know, this human, this human, human, human existence we all got going on. I feel like that. I don't know. I don't want to sound like too over analytical and like some fucking asshole, but like to me, it, it the music and your performance triggers some kind of subconscious. Like I feel like it makes me feel what you just said. Thank you. And that's, I also, I, that's so great to hear. Again, like I said, that's all I've, <laughs> Oh boy. I just want I some sort of cathartic. Yeah. Just to make anyone feel is whew, that's great. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know what, what I think about with your songs is that it makes, I feel like the way my daughter relates to it and the way I relate to it are two different things. And I don't know what, to, and I don't want to ask like, Hey, what was your message with this song? Cause I think that's bullshit. And I think like, like best behavior means something to me and it means something to my daughter. I hope not that I'm telling her to be a good person. <laughs> like, like I'm chastising her. I don't want her, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, like, I, 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 oh, no, no, sorry. I, I think that's kind of part of the point is that you want people to be able to take different things away from what you're making. Like you look at uh, like how the way in which someone can analyze poetry, like it's the simplest source, so few words, but then people are writing whole dissertations about like what each little thing could possibly mean. And, and in a way, so yeah, for the songs, like there are certain things or certain messages, but 
I, I do think it is funny too, like as we move through time, like we reflect on different experiences differently. Like you experience something different as a child than you do as an adult. And like, you can watch certain songs that mean something to you change over time and realize sort of like more meanings as you experience those things from different sides. Um, so I think that is part of like the magic of making something and something that is kind of out of your control as a creator, which is really cool. Or like, I, that's like where you sort of like, you can let that stuff fester is just again, putting a little thing out and then sort of watching the worlds that people can kind of project onto it. And when you're making something that is essentially what you want, it's like not necessarily sure. We all want to say stuff and make cool things, but a big gift is what, you want people to also be able to come to it and put whatever it is they need to put on to that creative work that you've made because it's for you, but it's also for them, you know, in a way is it, you want people to be able to get something out of it and that's going to be different for every person. Um, another thing that, that makes me think of is uh, there's some guy who went to an art exhibit and put his glasses on the ground and then he just acted like it was like a piece of the art exhibit. And then all... <laughs> And all of a sudden, like everyone treated these glasses on the ground as if it were a piece of art. And I think that's, that's really cool. Like that concept is that, that story is because also in the end by him trying to make nothing art, it becomes its own actual work of art in a way. Like if the fact that he did that, um, is is art to me <laughs> so yeah I, and so that's also kind of like you know an invisible target is like okay what's the glasses on the ground here you know like what <laughs> what's what's like it's just sort of all about how you kind of treat something and which is also i think why like not trying to be too specific with stuff lyrically it's like you want to be specific and like convey something, but also leave room for like whatever is going to catch with people and leave things open to interpretation, which I think is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder about that when people write these analytical pieces about art or specifically like writing or film and they're like, well, they chose white, like the background is white because it represents it. I'm like, did they choose it because of that? Or are you yeah. choosing that? Like it's always and I feel like it just exists in everybody's subconscious. Like whatever the fuck you place on it is what it matters. And like to label it almost seems like it hurts the art. He said, I don't know. <laughs> of course, yeah. I don't know if it necessarily hurts the art because I, that's also just like one person's <clears throat> opinion. And sometimes there are things that are done without intent that end up having like that end up, actually conveying the original intent in a way that you weren't expecting, you know, I think you have to sort of allow it to for like randomness to make good decisions for you. But it is funny talking about sort of like all the analytical writings and stuff like that. Like I, as a consumer, I do love listening to people like really critique an album or something or a piece of film and break it down. Um, but it is funny now being in the position where I put something into the world or like, you know, live shows, we get a lot of live show reviews and, and music reviews and like hearing other people's opinion. Sometimes you want to be like, well, that's, that's not, that's not it. Or, or, but also part of the beauty is you have to accept that like people are just going to see things, how do they see those things. And I'm, I'm still figuring out how much of that is excuse me is a tool and then how much is just a distraction and i think it's both but it, it's just been interesting to for me to see like the difference between enjoying listening to that and like listening to critiques um of other pieces of work and then when it's centered on you it's like okay i don't know if it's actually if i can engage in this the same way that i engage with it and other things but that's yeah, true it, for so much stuff it's hard like i always wonder like when somebody puts out their first album and it's this critically acclaimed thing and everyone's like, they're a fucking genius. And then everything after that is just crap. <laughs> I'm like, did the voices get in their head? Cause they would get in my head. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. And I think, I, I think yeah, that type of pressure too, it like makes your job easier and harder in ways. Like, um, it, and something, it, uh, 
yeah, for those for those artists out there. I don't know if it actually even happens that much these days. Or what I do feel like what happens is that like an album is a breakthrough hit and then um, their second album is probably still great, but it, it, it for somebody to say, if it's like a niche community that rallies around it, like if it, uh, they quickly abandon it and it goes off into like the, the bigger streams of human beings who always love it. I don't know. People love to be so cool and reject things once they're cool, at least in our community. But you forget there's a whole wild world out, out there who's not afraid to be a fan of something that other people are fans of. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because there's bands I like and I'm like, you're not going to know about that. <laughs> yeah. And you might think I'm uncool. Oh, no. <laughs> but a lot subjective. of it's nostalgia-based, too. Like, I mean... yeah. I'll admit, like, it's like, yeah, some of these songs are terrible, but it takes me back to a specific time and place. Exactly. I mean, that's part of the magic. I, it is what I, I don't know about the early 2000s, because I think people like to say that things like, oh, whatever you listen to in high school is always going to um, like be your favorite type of music. Whereas I feel like my taste really didn't get cooking until I was in like, my early 20s. <laughs> and you know, like mix CDs I made back in high school, I kind of like, uh, am, you know, ashamed of now. I'm not ashamed of. Can but, I get some names? Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'm saying this and I'm like, nothing is, nothing's bad. Nothing's bad. It's just like very much locked in a time. Um, and you know, like, yeah. And like indie culture and like the two thousands was like, it was a lot of, glockenspiel and hand claps so i had this one <laughs> i i i i got a cd by this band page for Ants that i liked a lot and like just very very indie um and like and maybe somewhat i don't know i that so that was that was that i also i don't know if you know this story i got i started playing music because i saw this band harry and the potters in high school and um it's a fiction it's I, d- a, I don't know this story it's a it's a it's a whole wizard rock band <laughs> and they started a whole genre and i wasn't even a fan of harry potter when i first saw them it was just like an all-ages show that i could go to and um i remember being able to like be there and see that i was like huh i think and i like just got in a guitar i was like okay these people are writing songs and like making music and playing shows like I think I'm allowed to do that too so like that was the moment when I realized like I was allowed to make music for some reason you think you're not allowed to like write songs when you're younger (laughs) (laughs) um so I that got me and my friend Casey to start our first band um and yeah and I and then subsequently I did get very into that band and into Harry Potter although you know mm, boo JK Rowling for the record I'm with you bad bad news um so that was, that was, I would take CDs out from the library a lot. Um, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think you just like more kind of like a little, the music I listened to back then was like a little bit more sort of emotional and self-indulgent perhaps in a way. I don't know. Uh, that was a long answer. Not very satisfying. <laughs> I, I'm very satisfied, but I wanted to, because I thought it was interesting. You said allowed to, it allowed me to write music or say uh, whatever. I know I'm fucking up. Um, but what was there a background? Because I came Irish working class folk, and when I wanted to mm-hmm. do theater, that was like a oof. No, I'll just keep this to myself. <laughs> yeah. And I was wondering if you had a similar, if that was. My parents are business people. They're people of business, but my father, uh, you know, my mom, but they loved music. And my uncle actually is a comedy writer and really kind of the first one. Yes. In our family to, um, and you know, he grew up in like Connecticut, Harvard, whatever those, that, that, that type of, was he part of Harvard Lampoon? Yeah, he was actually. Um, that's pretty hip. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, so, and so that was like, and you know, my grandfather was a doctor on that side of the family. So I think they kind of had like a very traditional kind of collegiate view of things, but my uncle found this loophole. And once he found the loophole, I think, you know, the, the, the generations get younger. And, um, and I think seeing that too has, and my mom also dated another, uh, 
TV writer in college before she met my father. Um, <laughs> are they all New York comedy writers? Are, uh, I don't know. I think they all ended up moving to LA. Um, I think my uncle worked on SNL briefly or he got a job at SNL, right? And so we never graduated college, like in the last semester. Um, and then he went out to work in LA and on, you know, Simpsons and Seinfelds and stuff like that. So pretty cool. What um, era SNL? I SNL, a very, very early, right before Conan O'Brien got there. Um, I think, I think okay. Conan was a couple, and I don't know how long he actually worked there. It was, is Tom Gimmel and Max Frost. They're like a writing duo. Um, so but I know, and that's also another reason that helped them get hired is they got hired as a team, cheaper to pay them if you're paying it. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, a, and I know what SNL pays. That's a real motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, you know, who knows? It's a lot Split, of work. I mean, it just, sounds like a, hmm? Oh, I was just going to say splitting that. I mean, splitting it. And if you're single and it's your dough in New York, that's fine. But splitting it, that's a rough one. Yeah. Well, you know, it was probably the seventies or the eighties, maybe the oh, eighties. So, yeah. Rent was a little bit better back then. I don't know if the union pay <laughs> was better back then, but I, I think, that, but what that proved, I think to my family too, is that like, Hey, you know, there's a lot of ways to do stuff. And, um, so I'm, I think the focus of like having a good education was great, but they also were really, um, uh, supportive of trying other stuff. And, um, and that says, and now my dad actually is like, as he sort of watched the band grow, he's been more and more involved in it, which has been a lot of fun. Like, you know, he helps out some of the bookkeeping and we even drove one of the vans across the country together to like wow. drop it off for a tour. Yeah. That was, that was a really nice experience to get to have with my dad. And Recently, you know, he's got a MIDI keyboard. And so, like, I sort of showed him some stuff on the computer. One of these days when I have a nice break, I'm, I'll produce a record for my dad. Um, <laughs> but I think with him, too, is a similar thing being like, it, it's been fun watching him uh, uh, learn more about, like, writing and recording music, too, because I think he had the same realization that I had, which is just, like, everything's acceptable and you can do whatever you want. I, I think people uh, you ask people if they play music and a lot of the times they go oh no 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 i could never and you're like well really anything yeah it's it's not it's not like something that's like you can't you can't do anyone can make stuff if you want to yeah i just read this and it's probably been one of those things that circulated on the internet a thousand times but it just reached me of a letter that vonnegut wrote to an elementary school they asked him advice and he was like, start creating, start doing it now. Yeah. This is, and it has not, don't even show it to anybody. This is how you discover who you are and explore who you are. And I was just like, fuck, that's such, that's what everyone should do. Cause otherwise I feel like we get fucking <laughs> woohoo in the head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's you just for your own sanity, you should write something or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Tara in the band, she and I were at my friend's like graduation art exhibit once. And we ended up talking to like a really interesting guy, um, who, uh, basically writes constantly. And his whole thing was like, well, if you write it down, that means it's not living in your head. So it's a, that also always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, it's a way of sort of releasing something and, and clearing your mind. And like that, get that advice from Monica too. It's like every, we all want to think that there's like a secret, way or a secret like agenda that we can follow to do what we want to do and like um when I was graduating from college and my dad was like well you should talk to all these people in these fields and like you know it's <laughs> one of those things that people make their kids do which is call someone up like do you have any advice um and always the advice is like just do it just yeah just and like and doing it also doesn't always look what look the way you think it what it's not until like 10 years later after doing it, we're like, Oh wow, I've done that for at least 10 years. So here we are. Yeah. Do you have sort of a, I mean, for me creatively, I'm, I'm just trying to strive to get as close as I can to who I am and being honest. Basically that's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sort of, did that sound pretentious? I hope that sounded really no. good. No. <laughs> That's like my a... working class guy coming out going, you can't say that. Um, but, but I mean, is there anything you're striving for, or like internal goals that you're trying to achieve creatively just for yourself? 
Um, I think I would just like to make as much, I mean, everyone in the band feels this way. It's like, we all just want to make as much stuff as we possibly can. And Gustav's one way to do that. And also everyone's got a lot of other, uh, really cool sort of solo projects and stuff that they do. And what's fun, I think having a variety of work too is again, great because like not necessarily all sort of things fit within every context. And I think sometimes those boundaries can be freeing in a way. Um, so yeah, I, I personally, I think I would just like to get better at finishing a lot of stuff faster. Cause it definitely sort of lives in like a little purgatory and, <laughs> and, and yeah. And, and what I said before, it's just like making something that's capable of making other people feel the way that I felt when I've enjoyed a piece of creative work that I really that really love it's like it's like it's just such a great it's like almost like a tingly feeling it's like you feel your eyes dilate and like sort of you're just you're this kind of emotional welling that you get from a piece of work that's like exciting or just really funny or really cool in a way yeah and that's straight like there's part of me that like wants to affect the uh, the other youthful version of me because if yeah. it wasn't for like seeing like you seeing Harry and the Potters, like to me, that was like the first time I saw a second city show or even comp certain comp comedians on TV, like John Belushi, it just hit me of like, yeah. Oh, it's okay to be a fucking weirdo. I don't mm-hmm. fit in here, but I can fit in fucking somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which saved me. Yeah. Rom's always said, and I agree with this, that like one of the best compliments we can get after a show is someone's like, wow, that was so cool. It made me want to start a band. And then I'll just go, yeah, go start a band. <laughs> the hardest the hardest part is just getting people together but like you know uh yeah it, so that's it's i think yeah so that is another thing um and i think specifically with gustav in terms of like a message oh this is gonna sound silly i don't know if it's necessarily about like healing but um just kind of accepting you know accepting accepting the things that like you know don't make you feel great but like finding a way to actually sort of process that and like regenerate it into something better than like the emotion when it was coming in to your body in a way. So like, um, you know, just disarming kind of our frustrations and being able to like laugh at them because, you know, it's like when you think about a fight, like an insane, really heated, terrible fight, like a couple years later, it's like pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're usually like pretty hilarious. Um, so like finding kind of like that perspective, uh, as a way of like, I don't know, you know, like sort of detonating the dangerous parts of our inside. Uh, yeah. That doesn't sound. Hmm? Oh, you, when you started that, you said you felt you were like, I hope this doesn't sound silly, but that doesn't sound silly at all. That sounds healthy. Thank you. Oh, you know, the word healing. It's like, Oh it's yeah. Been, it's been, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just did a, I just did a thing with my hands. <laughs> but yeah, there's some good stuff in there. But I try to like, yeah, I don't know, like things like that healing. And I know they're all, but like at one point they weren't fucking garbagey woo woo things. Like at one point it was, or maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, everything. I don't know. I th- I think you know every thought is useful in a way. So like, there's a lot of stuff you don't relate to, but there's like some things in there that can be applicable. And whatever packaging makes you feel good about a certain message is the one that you should be using. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just I came from such a fucking masculine working class bullshit environment that I had to like, like it's hard for me to say I go to therapy because yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I don't yeah, want to, yeah. you don't want to mm-hmm. be viewed as weak or whatever. And in my world, you would have been, you know, if you like fucking flock of seagulls, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How absurd is that? I know. I do think too that luckily I feel like the more and more we move through time, we are deconstructing some of those traps we were born into, but it did sound like, especially, yeah. Uh, but back, at, back in, back in the day, it's, it's a lot more, I mean, 
look, bullying is always advancing and evolving. So people are going to be bad and work out their weird little loops. And uh, hopefully that just the, the way in which we bad things happen gets least harmful over time, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's the whole game. That's like mission one of being born <laughs> and, or like, or, you know, living in this world is like, you don't get to control how, who, who you're born to and how you're born and who you are and what it's like, you know, it's, but it's untangling kind of the net that you came into this world in, and then, you know, rebuilding up just a better foundation if you can. Cause yeah. I, I, and luckily we're all, I think pandemic really helped and, just understanding that there's just a lot of like silent programming that we've just inherited from the generations of humans that have come before us that we all have to, you know, try and work to fight against for our own sake and everyone else's sake, you know? Yeah. There's so many fucking voices in my head that I'm like, that's not me. That's my dipshit mm-hmm. mom. And she is a dipshit. Yeah. I know that's oh. a lot of people. <laughs> my mom actively chooses ignorance and it fucking drives me insane. Yes. But why? Or, you know, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, very much product of the 50s women, and I'm sure her dad was a he was charming and wonderful to the world, but I'm sure he was a real motherfucker. And when the doors were shut, yeah, I, this is part of what makes me not a friend fun, uh, a fun friend to complain to is because again, I hear someone's like, oh, this person's a dipshit, and I think about that, and I'm like, well, what that person doesn't wake up and go, I'm gonna be a dipshit today, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like they're, they're the king of their own narrative as well. And it's like, yeah, technically there's a lot of stuff that can result in bad behavior, but yeah, it's like, and so like, I look at people like that or people who have caused harm and it's just, it's for me, um, as an outside objector, I find my mind constantly just sort of trying to like unweave what's going on there. And it's like, well, how can we transform it? Can this person be transformed how, how do you transform a person and like what, and like a lot of dipshit behavior just comes from like, you know, embedded survival stuff and fear and anger. And it's hard for people to face that. And people who try and ignore that and don't face that can end up doing a lot of harm to the people around them. And I don't know. Yeah. So it's like, just uh, again thinking about like, Oh, how to make the world a little bit better. It's like, but and 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 i think for and as an individual too it's like part of that too is like good boundaries being my mom's a dipshit and i don't want to talk to her. <laughs> that's what makes your life better too it does but, but you're it doesn't right. mean she doesn't exist still you know yeah and you're right your approach or what you suggest is in my opinion the correct way of looking at it because i i look at some of my weaker moments in life and it was fear it was and damage and on me unraveling what my is the bullshit in my brain and i don't feel great about some things i've done in this life i killed six people but nobody knows about it. <laughs> no but i mean now <laughs> oh fuck right I've, i got carried away the jinx over here <laughs> um i what did you when you were doing and not but also it's very it's it's uh, but another caveat on that is like if you're not the one in the in the fighting ring it's very easy to feel that way so like in a way too that can sound condescending and frustrating to someone who actually has to like live through those battles which is why also it's like it's not if you're the one who has to deal with it it's you're not it's not always your job to like presume that like zen like understanding and sometimes it's just your job to get yourself out of there so true yeah but compassion goes a long way and understanding which i really think we could use a lot more in this fucking society (laughs) i think we have a lot more you know it's yeah and i think we live in such a reactionary era like it's just all about reacting and like fuck these people and like, put your mask on. It's like, that doesn't, no one listens to, no one hears that stuff. Like, you're right. They should wear their yeah. mask. But if you yell at them, they're just going to put their heels in the ground more. It's, it's the honey, honey and the vinegar thing too. And it's like, if you actually want those people to change again, like you can't necessarily change the way that you feel, or like if something makes you feel angry or frustrated, like that's you, like there's no, 
it's that it's just hard to change that physical reaction, but it, you know, uh, uh, yes. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but, but again, you know, it's like finding, but that's also not going to make, it's just going to further polarize people. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Not to go back to the improv thing, and I do have other things I want to. But let's go back to the improv thing. I'm just curious what attracted you to it. Like what? And did you at some point be like, "I'm going to be on SNL," which you still um, your band your band probably will be on SNL? Don't you? Oh, think? we're going. Oh, I've already I've already sent that request to the universe. I can't talk about it, but it's <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, I well, I was a big fan of SNL growing up, and I think I've always loved the performing arts <laughs> and. <laughs> and you know what can I say man let's create uh and I think that was just like one of those things one of those roadmaps you're like okay and I was still kind of getting my footing I was new to New York I was you know playing guitar in private in my in my dorm room but like not really jamming I feel like I had friends around me who were jamming but I was like I never asked to jam and I wasn't very good so um fair enough uh so I think I was just like just trying to find a way to get involved and get some forward momentum on like performing and doing creative stuff and improv classes, uh, you know, was one way to do it. And I'm very fortunate that I was able, you know, uh, financially to take those all, you know, so like it's, um, so that was kind of like my, what piqued my interest is that, um, yeah, I just wanted to get started. And I think I was looking around being like, and they were a way to do it. Did, which UCB were you at? Because I, I lived in New York briefly, and it was, I, that was it 21st or 22nd Street? I can't remember. It was. So there, yeah, there was the UCB East Theater and the one in Chelsea. And I never got to do my graduation shows at the Chelsea location, only at the East Village location, which was fun. And then we were taking classes. They moved class locate like the original class center i think was like on like what west 26th street i used to work at an environmental consulting firm in um in that area of town too so i'd go and like go to my job filling out lead reports and stuff like that (laughs) and then you know walk over to my improv class afterwards um and then then they moved to like this big flashy building further uptown and now who even knows what is left of the UCB? I think both, both theaters have closed. I never, and then they opened up a new theater location in like, I don't know, Midtown, Midtown. And I think that's, and that was after my time there, but I was like, oof, all right. Um, that's a bit of a trek for some yeah. folks in Brooklyn. <laughs> Crazy thing. I, when I, I Matt Walsh was my roommate. <gasps> Stop. What? And when he moved to New York and I was <gasps> like, you gotta be kidding me. So yeah, I'm like, I know I'm a big, I'm a, I, I love the, yeah, the OG four Matt Walsh. Hilarious. <laughs> you lived with Matt Walsh in Chicago and then he moved to New York to start yeah. the UCB. I was pals with all those dudes. That's my, a wow. lot of my generation. I got some off the record questions for you then. Oh, <laughs> I got a lot. But yeah, when he was leaving for New York, I was like improv New York. I don't know, dude. Like I didn't mm-hmm. say it. Cause I was like, go, go yeah. ahead. Uh, also, which connects to something else I was good. But I, he was like, I need books to read on my trip to New York. So I gave him junkie. No queer. Gave him queer from William S. Burroughs, which you have an interesting William S. Burroughs quote. I oh yeah. Ask. I haven't, I haven't actually read much Burroughs. Oops. Um, anyways. Yeah. No, that's fine. I think that's mm-hmm. totally fine. But you called him a misogynist. And I think that is uh, good. Obviously, not that you need my well, <laughs> Lori, Lori Anderson called him a misogynist. And then I was like, well, if Lori thinks he's a misogynist, from what I've I've heard vaguely, you know, like, unfortunately, yeah, that's also my own fault for mentioning William Burroughs and not like really. It's like, again, something where I like sort of peeps, peeps in the closet of William S. Burroughs. I was like, all right, got it. <laughs> well, I feel like, though, that especially the beach, there's that's such a they're godlike figures and it's like we forget these motherfuckers were flawed and i watched a documentary on burroughs recently and i was like this is a sad fucking dude like he's not a hero he's fucking sad 
Yeah. I, I, it's interesting too. In high school, I really like, I was very intrigued by the beat movement and I thought it was so cool. Um, and then I, I went to an all girls school. And so we had some class, we had to do like an oral history project and I wanted to do mine on like women in the beat movement. And what was fun about that is that what I learned is that they weren't in the beat movement really. And that was kind of just like, it was like a reversed, um, or they were, but again, it was like, no one uh, not getting a lot of respect. Uh, like, you know, mostly they were the ones like working the nine to fives and then doing the laundry and cooking the meals. So like whoever could like do peyote and sit at a typewriter. <laughs> you know, what's um, interesting is I interviewed a woman who was a part of the, of that group. So did I, what was her name? Ruth Weiss, Ruth Weiss. All right. I forget the, I have to, I bought the book of the woman who I interviewed and I'm so bad. I feel you bad would, for she she dated um I think oh no oh I'm forgetting who she dated too I don't know Ruth was she's German she like mm-hmm. escaped Germany Nazi Germany as a kid lived in Chicago for a while and then she was in San Francisco so she was like pals with Kerouac but she, I had to edit it out of the episode but she her husband partner guy was like didn't didn't uh, Ginsburg throw you down a flight of stairs and she was like no. <laughs> Like oh my gosh. Like, Actually, my person, I forget. Okay. There was some famous queer female author that she dated. Um, and then she got in a fight with her and they were at a party uh, and like, I guess gave her a black eye. And then they were at a party and Ginsburg walked up to this woman I interviewed and went, why'd you hit her? So that's my Ginsburg. And, uh, <laughs> my, 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 my violent Ginsburg story that I also remember. I wish I could. I'm so sorry. I can't remember any. Any names. That's okay. I'm uh, terrible with names. You're Gary, right? I guess exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dumbest joke. I'm who did you just I want to see now there's a bunch of shit I want to ask you off the record as well that would probably be boring to people. Oh, sure. Well, you know, it's up to the people. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious. Know, you're the one who's editing this too again. I'm sorry. I wish <laughs> I'm still learning how to be, like I said, I'm still learning how to be myself in these formats and ugh, okay. Yes. Oh, I think you're great. And I try to I go, think, you know, this is sort of, I try to go for just like loosey goosey, like two people having coffee. For do you have a picture? Us. Do you have a picture? I do of have water? a picture. I have a picture of water. And if we're being honest, I did buy a cup of coffee, but I put it in a mug. And cause I know sometimes you put the video on Patreon and I didn't want people thinking that I'm just wasting paper cups all the time. <laughs> well, everyone will overlook the Ginsburg count or the girls yeah. comments, but the paper cups, paper cups, that's what they really, that's, that's what matter these days. Burrows, was it, was it in the classic bodega blue coffee cup? No, those are actually, I realized too, those like now you get them at like fancy coffee shops, like certain fancy coffee shops will like shell out for the blue bodega cup. Um, it's not a thing anymore. That's crazy. It is. It is. I think at carts and some, and some delis, but it's kind of like, you never know when you're going to get it. A lot of the times it's just kind of an anonymous white cup. I also like big cups of coffee. So those I think only come in the smaller size from what I've seen in the wild, but I could be wrong. Clearly. I don't know. I'm just revealing. (laughs) No, I'm curious. What, why is New York just like it? You grew up in Massachusetts, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. I forget what town. Amherst? Oh, no, no, no. Um, little town. I don't... Uh, but I grew up between Arlington and Cambridge in this place called Belmont, right That's next right. to the Mormon Temple, um, which they built while I was growing up, and that was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, to, I, got to, I got to tour the Mormon Temple before they opened it up, before I wasn't allowed in, and I put... Really? Yeah, well, because I'm not allowed. I'm not Mormon anymore. Only Mormon people should go in the temple. From oh, your family's Mormon? No, 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 no. Oh, oh. sorry. I also, like, no, as in, like, uh, once they like did the official opening and blessing of the temple, I can't go in there anymore because I'm not Mormon. Right. I, I think there it. are rules like that. I don't know. The Mormons. I dated a Mormon woman and boy oh boy the, it was there was a lot to unpack <laughs> yeah i grew up i grew up with a lot of mormons though so like i i'm 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 aware of of the culture east coast mormonism i think is a little bit different than you know west coast mormonism but 
Or I remember my friend and I had a crush on the same person. She's like, well, you're not Mormon, so you can't marry him. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on her. <laughs> yeah, enjoy that. Good old Mormon oppression. Yeah, or, you know, I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of facets to it. So I'm sure there's a lot of, again, whatever gets you off at the end of the day. You know, if, if you are happy being a Mormon and living a Mormon lifestyle, then I'd say you go for it. As long as not hurting other people, you know? Yeah. My ex's mom would drink Diet Coke and that was a big rebellion. <gasps> like it, people were like, oh my, scandal. Yeah. No, cho- technically like, what, isn't chocolate kind of off, off the table too because there's caffeine in that or? Yeah. I don't know. All, all the good things. The only thing that appeals to me about like Jehovah's Witnesses is that you don't have to go to birthday parties. And I was like, that sounds all right. <laughs> when I first learned about that, I was like, you mean no holidays? I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, holidays. How do how do you break up your year? (laughs) (laughs) I think I just don't want to celebrate. Like when you have kids, all the birthday parties become, and then there's there's we have Jehovah's Witnesses in my kids' class, and they they can't go. I'm like, oh, those parents are fucking lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wow, because that's a big. Yeah, it's it's a lot involved too with children and birthday parties and and stuff. You gotta you gotta show up with a little token for the child, but in reality, you know, depending where you live no one really needs more stuff these days and then it's just yeah oh the ritual but cake is fun i like cake cake is fun i i i don't know if this is a dumb question and but it's probably th- not thank you but there's a thing do your the gustav's most recent single is just a piano piece and i was very curious about that all right everyone listening up when you start a band it's good if your name is unique. <laughs> that way, other people, I don't know, with the name Gustav. Oh, is it not? Oh, stuff. fuck. Oh, I was probably so... not. No, no. We have been having this problem. And I thought, I, okay, when we picked the name, I did want something that was like kind of ambiguous um, and, you know, could have a lot of different interpretations to it. Uh, or like sort of St. Vincent was the example in my mind. I'm like, okay, cool. That's kind of vague um because when we all started playing together we didn't really know who was in it for the long run luckily pretty much everyone was um but uh yeah so there's a lot of other gustavs it's been very confusing lately and um i'm not necessarily a great uh gustav goalkeeper when it makes comes to it's happened a lot where it's like you know some gustav in sweden will put out their piano piece and it'll be linked to our spotify and it's like no 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 actually um that's someone else uh so and like or like a gustav will be playing in sweden and it'll be listed as our upcoming shows and luckily we've got a couple people in sweden who get really excited and we have to be like no 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 no. (laughs) we're not coming yet um so i I don't think yeah Hmm? oh i'm just wondering if it's somebody who's trying to bite on your name and get those get that money like well good because i played it because i'm like and i would then i was like are they making some kind of statement here by p- putting out a piano pitch? <laughs> yes. like, are they saying like, we're not this, we're going to do this now or whatever. I was like, I overanalyzed it. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad it works out for both Gustav's the the fact that, you know, <laughs> sure, absolutely. Anything to keep people on their toes. Um, and it is again, very flattering to think that we would have a, a chunk of anything that people would want to, get their little claws on some actually someone recently dm'd us being like oh i'm so sorry i'm an upcoming upcoming songwriter um my song accidentally got linked to your thing like i'm gonna unlink it and uh the band and i were texting about it and we did kind of want to be like i mean you're just starting out don't you want to pick like a different name like (laughs) we've, (laughs) we've done a pretty good job of I don't know, building a following. I feel like it's going to be hard for this guy to catch up. Just, you know, something to think about, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Was the, it was the Celine thing strange. I mean, is that, was that like, I, that was, that was, that was great. I mean, it was strange and it was our friends bodega actually had their song used a couple of years ago. Um, so I knew it was possible and they've like worked with other people in our spectrum before. So I was kind of like one of these days that Celine ship is going to come in or like, all right, again, something that like, you're not necessarily 
it's like it, nothing that like you think is going to happen, but you know, it's like, you know, it's a possibility. And so that was really exciting when that finally came in. And that actually ended up happening because of Beck, our dear friend Beck. He, we did three nights, the Troubadour opening up for the OCs in December. And he brought Hetty. Yeah. We've just been so lucky. We've gotten to play and meet like so many cool, incredible people. And like a lot of our, our like musical idols. And that's like an interesting Thing to be like, oh, geez, okay, cool. All right, we're hanging out with the OCs right now. Okay, ooh, Beck's coming to the show. It's like, um, it's just something that's, uh, I don't know. I, Beck became oh. a fan first, right? Like, if he heard He did, music. before we had any music release, too. Like, that, um, that really, that, my friend DM, we were at Tara's house filming a music video for um, her old band, Shark Muffin, and my friend DM me on Instagram being like, okay, um, so... Cage the Elephant is on tour right now and Matt Schultz wants to throw like a dinner party with like local performers and stuff. And I'm like helping curate it. So I guess, do you want to play? And that's, and like, luckily like pretty much all of Gustav was together and we were like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. And it was like the next day. Um, so it was just like, oh, such a wonderful, happy accident that, and we, we, played two songs and Beck saw us and Beck really liked us and then invited us to a show in Jersey the next day. And, um, we got to go backstage and he was like, Oh cool. Like how, how'd you get here? I was like, Oh, you know, we, we drove. He's like, well, did you want to ride back in the tour van? And we said, yes, yes, we do. So, <laughs> and we left Tara's car in the parking lot. I left my house keys in the car. Like all of this stuff was in the car, but it didn't matter because we had to ride back on that tour bus with Beck and like the next day we all just like woke up on the floor of Tara's apartment being like, what happened? And it was like, it was the closest. It was like traumatically happy. Like is what it is like a, sometimes it like broke our brains a little bit. And so it was nice to have like that next day of like all of us being together being like, what did we just do? And now Beck is just like a great friend and he loves to hang out and he loves music. And so like in 2020 in February, we played a bunch of shows in New York and in, in, in LA and he came to most of them. And I don't know. Um, so he's been a really great champion and has just done so much and like just really validated a lot of stuff in a way that we were, you know, and like validates it to other people too, who don't quite get it. It's like, Oh, I don't know who you were, but then I saw Beck was at your show. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so he brought Hetty, Hetty, uh, from Celine to our CS play and, um, Hetty back came back a second night to, I think, uh, photograph us. And, um, and that one song design, I think really sort of stuck out, stuck out to him. And, um, yeah. And, and he decided to use it and it was just so fun. I mean, it was so glamorous, like something we've never done before is like getting flown out to Paris for a weekend, getting car services to pick you, to take, we had two cars, one for our gear, one for us to go to the airport. Um, like as, as a band that has constantly stretched the limitations of like an Uber XL, <laughs> it was just such a luxury. Um, and just so cool to get to do that. And like the models were all so cool and sweet and they all really liked the song and like, just, um, and we played an after party at the show and they were all freaking out for, for the, for the last song. So it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's wild. And I, I can't believe we got to do that. And it's fun to look back on that and like, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's surreal. I've yeah. like, I've, wound up in a couple surreal situations like that and it doesn't i don't know like when i was 19 i partied with dan Aykroyd. like wow like it was this like i got pulled it i won't tell the whole story now because it's long but it was just like even to this day i'm like how the fuck did that happen like how did that and i was 19 i shouldn't have been drinking and he at the time I did smoke pot and Dan Aykroyd's marijuana is really top shelf. <laughs> wow. Good to know, Danny. And I being 19 and I was hung over for two days. So it was like, that's when you're at your peak abuse years. <laughs> exactly. It is funny as I get older, I'm kind of like, huh, should I be, should, am I letting go too quickly? Should I like still, I don't know. There's still, I feel like those become more of like, you know, a sometimes, sometimes treat. And when they happen, they're fun, but the recovery is longer. <laughs> when you're in that moment though, are you, I don't know, like you're at Celine, Celine and, or hanging out with Beck. 
I, how do you feel? Are you able to stay grounded? Cause I like, sometimes I would panic. <laughs> yeah. I think, Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, not necessarily. I'm definitely quieter than I am when I'm in my element. Um, but I think you just have to, yeah, it's all about being present and like, just remembering to enjoy it. I think, especially with the Celine thing, I was like, okay, my only job here is just to like, really enjoy that I get to be here and that I'm doing this and I'm seeing this operation so close up. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think it's just about, um, cause yeah, you know, time's always moving forward and, um, it's hard to tell actually when you get like the most, uh, benefit from things like that. It's like, is it in the moment or is it always going to be looking back on it? Cause like, there's a lot of stuff in our lives that like we look back on and it feels sweeter thinking about it now than it did perhaps in that moment. Um, and it is easy to like, kind of, uh, feel sad about that sometimes too. It's like, wow, I wish I really, um, felt this way while I was doing it, but I also don't know how much control we have over that. So for any sort of good or wild thing, it's like, I think it's just like trying to hang on to that bar for as long as you can um, until, you know, you're thrown off of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just weird because some people then it becomes second nature. It's like Warhol. It's like Andy Warhol went to a million of those things. So he probably was like, I'm bored. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it is fun too, because you got to be around people who were bored by it all. They're like, another day. Um, So, and, and, and I do try and think about that too, while we're touring and stuff. It's like, even if you're sort of tired or, you know, you've been having a rough couple of shows, it's just like trying to stop and be like, I'm like, if I told me when I was 15, that this is what I would be doing right now, I would be losing my mind. So it's like trying to like remind yourself of the perspective of the you who was just longing for that stuff. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Lydia Gamble of Gustav. Please remember that there is a link in the show notes for part two. I may possibly dispel some or dispense some comedy world gossip. Who knows in the part two that's a Patreon exclusive. Actually, I know I do. I talk some shit. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Enjoy. I'm good. I'm very, very good. I'm good. I'm good.